Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bradford Hate Crime Alliance podcast, a series of difficult conversations. Except actually this one really wasn't very difficult. It was a pleasure to spend time talking with Alison Lowe, the Deputy Mayor of West Yorkshire and our Police and Crime Commissioner. Alison very generously gave of her time and of her experiences and shared how she feels about the current situation surrounding hate crime, how we move forward and how to empower people to come forward and deal with what's happening to them. So we hope you find this information informative and empowering. And without further ado, here's my interview with Alison Lowe. Okay, well, Alison, thank you so much for joining us here at Bradford Hate Crime Alliance for our uh, podcast. Um, I just wanted to ask you, really, you've been really vocal about sharing your lived experiences when you've been advocating for us across the district at various events promoting hate crime and I wondered if you'd be willing to share some of those lived experiences with our audience today. Yeah I mean I'm a black woman I've obviously experienced hate crime uh, many times I've experienced racism direct and indirect Uh, it was actually in Bradford when uh, um, as an adult for the first time I was called the n-word um, I'm leaving leaving a curry house in in a car with some friends. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a memory that will stay with me for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was called the N word many times as a child, but then there became a period of time when it sort of stopped, and then uh, happened yeah. again in Bradford. But it's happened in other places many times since. So uh, don't feel bad about that. Um, uh, I'm also um, the mother of two gay children, and both my children have experienced. Um, uh, homophobia. Uh, my yep. son's been beaten up on uh, two occasions, once at school, uh, once by a work colleague in the streets of Leeds. And actually the police uh, response was poor. I will, uh, you know, I will say that it was poor. This was about 15, 20 years ago, but still I was very disappointed at the lack of um you know, compassion and response from policing. Uh, I was also a, a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, And I lived with domestic abuse for uh, 10 years uh, in my uh, late teens, uh, all all through my 20s. So, yeah, I've uh, I've experienced some stuff, as have many, many people uh, across the communities of West Yorkshire. I'm not different. I'm not special. And that's uh, uh, one of the tragedies of this is that uh, many of us do experience uh, things in our lives. And hopefully by talking about it, being open and honest about it, more people will feel able to also uh, talk about it and hopefully then report it and stop it. Yeah, I agree completely. And you're absolutely right. So many people, myself included, have experienced that. And it has a particular impact on people that perhaps those people that aren't as familiar with hate crime and the impacts of that, that can have, they're not as familiar with how impactful it actually can be in such a negative way. But I think one of the really key things to dealing with it and, and working through being a victim of hate crime is how you can use it to motivate you. And how do you think your lived experiences have motivated you and continue to motivate you both in your life and in your career? So, first of all, I think it's important to recognise the impact of of hate crime and, you know, the shame. Um, that's that's the word that, that came to mind uh, as you were speaking. You know, the shame that it happened to me, the shame that... Um, I had been uh, spoken to in that way, treated in that way, um, I think was a debilitating uh, feature of of hate crime, which meant that uh, I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want to report it. But I have to say that once I was in a position 
Um, and actually, it was when I wasn't uh, living in a domestic violence situation or uh, after, a long time after I'd come to terms with my childhood sexual abuse and when I wasn't living in an environment where hate crime was 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 common and regular. Okay. It was only at those points in my life when you feel strength and confidence uh, to understand the impact that it's had. Mm. And then you get angry, then you get angry mm. and you're determined to use that anger for good. Uh, and then the more I talk about it, uh, the more other people come to me and say, that really helped me because that happened to me and I felt that that made me unable to talk about it. I was ashamed. I wasn't able to um, discuss it with my family. I felt that they were judgment. But because of your um, uh, lived experience and the way that you've described it, I now feel confident uh, to do something different. And when people say that to me, that makes me feel even more confident. And it also is a healing um, feature of um, the process because through um, talking about my stuff, um that's what makes me feel um that there was a reason that that stuff happened to me because I've been able to bring that uh to uh, the table for other people and given them uh, the hope of uh, recovery because I believe that uh, I'm a survivor mm. I'm no longer a victim um and um uh, hopefully other people are now on that journey as a result of uh, my ability to talk about it and that keeps me uh, a survivor and doesn't take me back into that victim uh, uh status uh, that actually all of us will move in and out of during our lifetimes. I'm not we saying do. that being a victim is no, no. Um, is something that only happens once and you don't uh, go back to that place. I can go back to that place, uh, but the memory of the difference that talking about it has made helps me return to survivorhood, which is a place of strength and confidence for me. Absolutely. couldn't agree more. And I think what you talk about in terms of... Um, the victim perception and quite a lot of society likes to keep us in our little uh, victim cubby hole, if you like. Yes. And it's important that we take ownership of that. And we, and that's what empowers us. It's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this this way. And I'm going to use this to motivate me to be able to do this. And I think you're absolutely right. For a long time, I felt shame. I think that's such a huge crippling impact of hate crime is the shame that people feel because they're essentially being targeted because of who they are. There's nothing you can do about who you are. You are who you are. And when that's not acceptable to a certain amount of people or facets of society, that can be very debilitating. But it is it's the anger, actually, that really can enact sort of a proactive response and really move people forward and one of the things that motivates me is the, the sense that there are still so many people who feel that this is their lot in life and mm. it's what they have to put up with and it's not no it's I agree absolutely isn't and we really have to get out there and try and empower people to, to it's that self-belief and it's that feeling of self-worth and, and our concept of ourself that we are actually worthy as a human being of being treated in a certain way. And so that's something that really motivates me moving forward is getting people to come to us, talk to us about their experiences and, of course, report what is actually happening to them. But we know that so many people aren't doing that. There's lots of different reasons why. I wondered if you could talk about what from your own experiences and the people that you've worked with and spoken to what are the barriers that people face? Because I'm sure that listeners will be able to identify with a lot of what we're talking about in regard to that. Well, the, the multiple and varied. Uh, sometimes in the moment, people don't see themselves as victims. They minimise what's happened uh, it. because it's just too hard to go there. You know, when I was a victim of domestic abuse, I, I wouldn't name it. I wouldn't go there. I didn't want to be a victim. And so I refused to go there. It was only years later uh, that I reflected back and I realised um, the position that uh, that I was in. 
that I was able to get out of it, um, and uh, it was a long, a long and hard uh, struggle. Uh, other factors might be fear of retribution. That's very common if it's happening in yes. your community. It's often neighbours. Um, it could be within a wider family setting, uh, and obviously, um, especially for LGBT plus uh, communities. Um, a, a, a big reason why uh, that community is more likely to become homeless is because of, uh, you know, hate crime within the family. Uh, so there's, you know, and you don't want to criminalise your family. You, you want them no, to, no. Yeah. to accept you and the fear of rejection is another reason why uh, you don't go to the police. A fear of not being believed. You know, uh, I didn't report my childhood sexual abuse for, um, I've never reported it. You know, I didn't talk about it for 40 years. Uh, and many, many people, um fear that um, they won't be believed and uh, that nothing will be done or it's a waste of time. I'll spend lots of time at the police station and nothing will happen. So yeah. why, uh, why do that? And then, um, obviously, there are people who have got other barriers. So they might have a disability, they might have a learning disability, might have English as a second language, um, might have any number of protected mm. characteristics that they see as a barrier to justice. Uh, if you're a refugee asylum seeker, for example, come from a country where uh, people don't get justice, where uh, the system uh, militates against that, where there's corruption, um, then you won't trust the police, you won't want the police involved and that's why having um crime stoppers as a uh, as a, a, a you know a neutral third party or stop it uk for example as reporting uh, mechanisms is so important uh, but then how do you uh, tell people about that so if you're a newly arrived um you know migrant how do you know about how to report this stuff so ignorance is sometimes um um uh, 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 part of the barriers uh, yeah. so it's it's as i say many and varied uh, but when people have got the information they have got the confidence in the system uh, they do believe that they will be listened to and um uh, that the action will be taken uh, people will report uh, and uh, we will then be able to really understand the scale of the problem because it's a massive issue now we yeah. know uh, for example, that there were 125,000 uh, reported hate crimes um, in 2021. 20, uh, um, yeah. And uh, that's the last uh, year that we've got full data for. Uh, that's massive, but it's a tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg. Probably re reflective of only actually 20% of the, of the overall scale of it. We, we, we work on the basis that about 80% of crimes go unreported. I, you think about online hate. Oh, huge. Online hate is, it's a, it's, it's, just another um you know um uh, uh, you know tragedy altogether because uh, so many people don't report the online hate young people don't see it um that bullying is online hate they don't have the language they don't have the confidence no, that's very um, and yeah so if you took all that into account well mm. you're probably into your millions we really are i mean it's one example, um, Leonard Cheshire, the organisation Leonard Cheshire, they come up with this uh, statistics, 52% upswing in online hate crime against disabled people during COVID. Yeah, that's yeah. just a symptom and, of lockdown. Yeah. And I read that, I read that report and I, I was yeah. actually involved in uh, meeting uh, some uh, service users from uh, United Response and Leonard Cheshire last year as part of developing our police and crime plan. Uh, and we asked them for feedback and uh, we, they did they did complete the uh, uh, the form and uh, uh, we heard from uh, those two organizations about the impact of uh, hate crime on them on their communities uh, and also when we were uh, sending out our uh, communications our survey tell Tracy survey uh, we employed a learning disability organization to do a um, 
an easy read version so that yeah. more okay. people with learning disabilities felt able to uh, respond and uh, and we did get some responses from that community which was brilliant fantastic and a lot of the work that we do you, you're absolutely right it's about getting the information out there once people have the information they're empowered yeah um it's about getting the information out to the right people to the right communities and it's, it's forging links within those communities and working with them in, in ways that work for them uh, in order to be, to best empower them i completely agree with you uh, with regard to that but in terms of you actually mentioned about online abuse it's, i'm going to skip a question schools we do we're doing more work with schools we're actually getting more requests from schools to, for, for some kind of intervention third party intervention that's fantastic and certainly one of my motivating factors because of the my experiences in school were not great um stuff that I still deal with on a daily basis so when I get the opportunity to go in and work with kids and staff uh to try and move these things forward it really is it's just an absolute privilege to be able to do that but at the same time it's just disheartening that 30 odd years later since I was in school we're not really moving that far forward in terms of tackling bullying tackling hate in schools what can we do to change that the, the belief systems that are inherent to those kind of communities do you think uh, well the good news is that there is lots and lots of work happening in schools all sorts of individual charities are going in but west Yorkshire police has commissioned um um, a training course. That's a big wasp, uh, a big bee that's just <laughs> into my window. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> and it's a big one. I saw that. Um, yeah. So West Yorkshire Police has um, uh, commissioned a, a training course called Paul Ed. Yeah. Not the sexiest of names, I, I acknowledge. Uh, police education, uh, and they have paid, uh, you know, a lot of money, invested a lot of money mm. in this preventative early intervention training to be rolled out across all schools. Um, and it's from years one to 13. So every single year group, they provide uh, lesson plans, staff to come in and do that training. And it might be police liaison officers or it might be staff who have been commissioned uh, by the police to go into schools. It's free to every school in West Yorkshire. When our mayor first came into power, um, uh, she was elected last mm -hmm. uh, uh, May, uh, only 36 schools had signed up. Um, we're now at 400 schools. She That's wrote to every school in December. Uh, told uh, head teachers about this brilliant resource that yep. is free uh, and um, many more schools have now signed up we're at 400 many more schools can sign up too if you really want to get this free resource uh, it's all being evaluated by Cambridge University it's brilliant and online training is one of the, the core areas of training that is included but it's also things about consent it's stuff about how yeah. to uh, prevent yourself being a victim of fraud uh, it, it talks about um, you know, things like coercion and control. It talks about modern slavery. It talks about exploitation by uh, organised crime gangs. So it's a brilliant, brilliant resource for uh, young people today who unfortunately are subject to so many evils, so many wicked people wanting to exploit and take advantage of them. Uh, but as I say, the online element uh, is, is, is absolutely amazing, which helps people to understand what hate crime is, how absolutely. they can be guilty mm -hmm. of committing hate crime, what the consequences are, um, helps children to uh, really understand the impact of their behaviours on other people. Uh, and as I said, it's all free. So that is unique to West Yorkshire. No other force in the whole country has commissioned that, that training. Uh, so I would urge uh, any uh, school that's listening to uh, this podcast to please contact West Yorkshire Police, get Poled in their, in their school. It's free. How many times are you going to hear that nowadays? 
Not many, and I have to. Get, I've, I can vouch for it. I've had a look myself, and there's some fantastic resources in there. There really, really are. So, um, absolutely take advantage of that. And now it's really great that we've got that facility where schools can be really proactive about their approach to dealing with bullying, uh, racism, hatred in the classrooms, in the corridors. Yeah. We, we do need to kind of stamp out. Those yeah, things. and obviously all schools have got programs. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, citizenship programs talk about. Um, things like racism talk about uh, things like homophobia but we also that's counted by so much hate on facebook and uh, tiktok and all the other platforms uh, that the children really really are under the cost so we do need yeah, these yeah. messages coming in consistently uh, via trusted leaders within schools and that's the key it's the consistency it's got to be consistently rolled out consistently embedded in curriculums and so uh, they're hearing this kind of stuff all the time to counteract as you say this influx onslaught of negativity that they're assaulted with every time they log on and go online on their mobile phones uh, but just imagine being a young person uh, who's questioning your gender yeah. who uh, you know believes that they're non-binary or potentially that, the, that, that they are um you know they've been born into their own uh, body and that they are trans how are you going to, um, you know, survive in a world where there's so much hate, so much transphobia? Um, and it's just so important that we get these loving, compassionate, um, welcoming messages to those young people so that they feel that they've got a place. Uh, you know, suicide uh, is, a, is a huge problem. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we need to be working positively with our young people. They are important. They are valid. They need uh, to be loved and to be supported by all of us let's uh you know get rid of the hair let's bring in the love i couldn't agree more with that i mean it's, it's interesting that the trans narrative at the minute Wicked. is so toxic and every time i go on twitter and i just it's it just makes my heart sink and i, I you know I, I cannot imagine what it must be like for those people and and how do we how do you counter that especially when there's so much power behind that narrative it is media driven there is an agenda there. How yeah. how do we as a community, how do we as a society really turn around and just go, we're not okay with this. This is not okay to treat people this way and avoid those situations where we've just become, you know, bystanders, just on looking, it's, so it's not happening to us. We're not really yeah. seeing... But we've got to be brave. We have we've to. Got to be brave. And we have to stand up and be counted. Mm -hmm. You know, as Deputy Mayor for Policing and Crime, you know, I have to say that I have had uh, people contact me with a... A particular intention uh, to get me to agree with their gender critical um uh, you know narrative uh and uh, i'm not going there i'm not going there no, no. because for me uh, for me you know the mother of two gay children you know i've i've been steeped in the lgbt plus community for 30 years yep. um, and I, I will till the day i die be an ally to that community forever uh, you cannot say that you are a modern person with you know open views uh, and then hold transphobic uh, uh, views the, the, the two things uh, are incompatible uh, and i just think when you look at people through the eyes of love Mm. then it's you know you are able to celebrate the whole of that person's identity and that criticism comes from here that denial comes from here and we need to recognize that we are the architects of our own um, behavior and uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the day if you choose to see someone through those eyes of love uh, the world is a much better place couldn't agree more that's absolutely fantastic advice thank you for that 
Another one, another sort of um, hot topic, if you like, in terms of hate crime is misogyny. Um, yes. And, you know, we keep seeing it. It's, it's incredible the journey we've been on with this just in the last couple of months, really. We were, I was so hopeful that the Law Commission, after the initial consultation report came out, that they seem to be quite positive about the uh, consideration of regarding it and having it properly recognised as a hate crime strand. And then when the consultation, the report actually came out after consultation, rather, no, we, 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 uh, we're adhering to, to not doing that. And there's specific reasoning for that. And now we've got this back and two between Parliament and the House of Lords. Where do you, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know where you stand on this, Alison, but in terms of moving forward, how, how can we ever, and certainly in our district, because we're at Bradford Hate Crime Alliance, it's part of our strategy that was launched, launched last October, we are committed to really fully exploring the extent of misogyny throughout the Bradford district and regarding it as a hate crime or motivated by such, as, as it would rightly be so. So how do we move from this sort of stalemate, if you like, in terms of our, our government and their attitude towards it, um, how do we move forward to a point where we actually could get to a place where, as a society, we can accept that, yeah, absolutely, this is a hate crime and it should be regarded as such? Well, uh, you, you very rightly said that this is about the government, and you're right, because the consultation um, from the Law Commission pointed to uh, this becoming, misogyny becoming yeah. a, a hate crime. Um, and, uh, and indeed, misandry also becoming a hate crime. It's not just about Important uh, to women's rights, that. it's all rights. Yeah. So misandry and misogyny would both have become hate crimes. Uh, but it's the influence of government and the uh, you know the refusal uh, by those in government to accept that this was something that was required. Uh, and uh, let me just say, and this is my view and not yours, that they're massively involved in those dis- discussions we've just had around uh, transphobia as well, and the refusal to include uh, trans conversion therapy Absolutely. in the discussions about transphobia. That's very political. It's been interfering with discrimination. Trans- Absolutely. It's the, it, and I, I'm sure it's against the Equality Act and I'm sure that it will come to pass that uh, that's what uh, the um, uh, Human Rights Commission, although that's also been politically interfered with. So who knows? But at some point that will be the, the finding by uh, those in the know. Uh, I, I personally uh, was delighted alongside our mayor that West Yorkshire Police agreed in December of last year to um, mark misandry and misogyny um, and uh, so we can't um, record them as hate crimes, but if no. the victim believes that their uh, sex or gender uh, yeah. was, because uh, I know that that's political too, uh, was uh, the, the reason for uh, an incident happening to them, then that will be um, marked on the uh, the record of the uh, the incident by West Yorkshire Police that, that the victim believes it was based on their uh, uh, either the fact that they were um, a man or a woman. Yeah. Which is which is a great first step because what we can then do is build the evidence base um, for uh, future conversations that are happening in government. Obviously, we hope to have a government that's more open to the to uh, the ideas and the feelings of the people they represent. If you want to, go to look at Channel 4 to see that 96% of people said, no, no, don't privatise Channel 4. Well, what good did that do? So, you know, you don't have, we don't have a government that's listening. We don't have a government that cares about the majority. We have a government that only cares about that very narrow uh, minority view. Uh, and they're not on the side of women who have become victims or um, uh, other minority groups, uh, as we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can be political because I'm a political appointment. And so uh, I, I know that this is not uh, uh, your organisation saying that. I just want to make sure 
that you don't get into any trouble for my political views. Uh, but I think that um, we need to be still applying pressure uh, nationally uh, via our politicians, our MPs, who are there representing us in Parliament to understand that this is important to us. Um, I was really pleased when Baroness Dale of uh, a Tory uh, peer um, put in um, a, a counter proposal uh, mm. to uh, uh, you know to Parliament, uh, well to the House of Lords, but that was not voted in uh, by the Commons, and therefore it's fallen, which is really really devastating because we know that. Uh, that victims of hate crime, that women in particular, one of the reasons they do not report is because they think no one will believe them and that nothing will be done. So if you allowed um, uh, misogyny to be classed as a hate crime, that would give lots of confidence to women to actually report. Uh, And there's been some some, um, work done in those areas that have been... um, recording misogyny and misandry and that data is showing early evidence that in those areas women are more confident to report because they feel validated uh, so uh, I think the evidence is emerging but it's very clear from my perspective uh, that uh, misogyny and misandry should be hate crimes uh, they are evils uh, and without those evils for example the murder of um, uh, you know Sarah Everard may not have happened exactly. the abuse of the the, the the you know the, the bodies of Bieber Henry uh, and her sister may not have uh, uh, have happened um, you know all the uh, op Hutton uh, stuff that we heard about uh, Charing Cross Police Station none of that might have happened so it's 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 an evil in our society we need to identify it we need to acknowledge it we need to act to eliminate it once and for all. Uh, excellent arguments. You know, there's so much to be able to agree with, and it's difficult to disagree with. However, the Law Commission gave two specific examples of why, because they did do a bit of a U-turn on this, um, specific examples of why they felt that it actually wouldn't be appropriate to regard specifically misogyny as a hate crime. One being that sexual abuse is so difficult to get any kind of criminal prosecution for anyway, by adding an extra layer of proof needed could hinder. And two, some sexual abuse crimes being labelled as misogynistic and others not could create a hierarchy in terms of um, sexual abuse crimes. What's your take on those excuses? It's a load of rubbish. It's a load of rubbish. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm reporting a rape, then that crime is a rape. If I then say I think that it's an that, uh, there's an exacerbating feature of misogyny, then that's for uh, the police to investigate and for the barrister in court to to prove. Um, but in any event, the crime of rape will still be prosecuted. It's just whether there's an aggravating feature of misogyny, uh, exactly. just as there is now for you know disability hate or or you know uh, hate on the grounds of religion. So that's a load of rubbish. Um, and uh, the second point, I can't. I don't think I can remember the second point. I mean, the both. Uh, it was the hierarchy. Their the argument yeah. that was the hierarchy of crime. I mean, it's ridiculous because at the end of the day, this is all about the perception of the victim, and exactly. it's about listening to the victim. And you know, if if a judge or a jury decides that actually that aggravating feature is not there. The incident still happened and you can still get justice for that incident. The fact that they've not heard about the uh, the aggravating feature is disappointing. It might be devastating in some cases. You know, right. don't alter the fact that it's my right to believe that it, that was an aggravating feature. Uh, and it's just rubbish. It's just absolute rubbish. And, you know, if you've got if you've got a reason um, for not doing it, then come up with a better reason than that. Uh, you hear that there's a really interesting point you just made there about perception. And I there seems to be a real pushback against people's right to have a perception of what is happening to them. 
And I think I find that terrible, absolutely terrible, because if you're in that position where you're being victimized, your perception is really all you've got to hold on to. That's your belief force to be able to do something about that. And if people at every turn are trying to remove that perception, you're, you're right to have that perception. So well, why do you think that's a hate crime being questioned in that way? So there's no evidence to say this is a hate crime about, or because you're disabled or because you're gay, there's no evidence for that, but it's my perception that it is. That's how I feel. That should not be negated in any way at all. No, no, it's, it's your right. It's my right <laughs> to think if I'd have been white, that might not have happened. That is my right. And, and I think it's about this um, anti-walk brigade so I don't use the word woke. That's not a word I use. It's the word that they use. Um, and I think... It's weaponised it, anyway. Yeah, it's, exactly. But also, when you're talking about um, transphobia, this government is now introducing legislation that, that will allow people to say what they like and it's like oh well you know it's just uh you know it's just robust debate people are allowed to have their opinions it don't have to be your opinion and so the blurring the lines between what is actually a hate crime and what is strong opinion and you can bet your bottom dollar that people who are voting Tory they share that view and people who are voting you know elsewhere don't share that view and people who look like me definitely don't share that view uh, we're heading into muddy waters with regard to the the, the whole freedom of speech yeah. uh conundrum if you like and and this uh the chilling effect that the government quite they like to quote that um, quite often in in regard to this issue if you look at the term of hostility there is no legal definition of hostility so you have to go by dictionary definitions it can mean an awful lot of things and so therefore that's when perception really does come into play yeah. so if i perceive something to be hostile against me that's my right to believe that exactly but also no, it's not the government say that it's all right for someone uh, to say what they want about me because there's a chilling effect of me, you know, remonstrating with them and getting justice through a legal process. They've got no right to tell me that I can't have that right to, you know, um, you know, to recourse. Um, and using this language, this, oh, we don't want to take people's rights away because you'll, you'll end up in some, you know, um, you know, some some country, third world country where, you know, people's rights are taken away. People's rights are being taken away in this country. You've only got to look at the police crime sentencing bill. You know, uh, people are not going to be allowed to gather. Uh, so and, and this has an impact on on, uh, on hate crime, because if there's hate crime really? being perpetrated and a, a group of us want to go and fight against that and campaign against that, you know, we have no rights. Uh, uh, Section 60 powers are being expanded so we can just be stopped in search for whatever reason, harassed mm. if, if uh, that's that, that's the, uh, the the wish of the, the, the police force where we, ha- we happen to be. Uh, it won't happen in West Yorkshire, of course. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, our rights are being um, taken away here uh, in this country. And you can't really compare us with, you know, third world military junctures anymore no. because actually uh, the lines have been so badly blurred that, you know, that we might have more freedoms in, in, in one of those countries, all can say, but we're definitely going into a dark place, which is chilling. Uh, it is chilling. And it is, um, I, I just think it's going to lead to some issues in terms of prosecutions moving forward, certainly, uh, and the arguments that can be made for and against. Um, one of the other areas I wanted to ask you about was mate crime. Um, I literally was at a meeting just yesterday. We were talking about mate crime. It was specifically targeting the issue of mate crime. And somebody raised the issue that actually in, in other meetings around the country, there's a lot of people that really aren't aware that this exists or that it's a thing or that it's even hate crime. 
um, we do work with a number of um, organisations and trusts across the Bradford district that work specifically with disabled communities because it is people who are disabled who are particularly vulnerable to make crime. But I think we something really needs to be done to try and raise this on a national level to, to, to build more awareness across the general public to try and look out for specific signs of it. Because again, because there's no outward hostility, people may not be able to see the signals. It's not as apparent as somebody sort of being verbally abusive to somebody in the street, for example. It can slip under the radar. So what do you think we can do to try and raise the awareness of make crime and and to make sure that people really understand how particularly nasty this strand of hate crime really is, the impact it has, and, and what we as a society can really do to protect those people who are most at risk of being victims of make crime? Uh, it is incredibly difficult because obviously a young person with learning disabilities or maybe hasn't been in mainstream school uh, or maybe has been bullied throughout mainstream school. Suddenly you've got a friend, uh, you're really going to cling on to that friend. Yeah. You're not going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're neurodiverse, maybe you don't see this, the signs and the signals when someone's, um, you know, um, you know, you think it's a joke that, you know, they're telling you it's a joke, but actually it's it's abuse. It's it's cruel. I mean, I'm aware that through uh, over the years, uh, safeguarding uh, boards and procedures and policies have really understood uh, the uh, uh, crimes within families, you know, older people abuse and abuse of uh, disabled people within families. But but friendships, I think there's much less understanding of that. And yet, if you look at murders of mm-hmm. people, particularly with learning disabilities, yes. often it's those people who have uh, pretended to be friends who have yep. uh, started off with very low level, uh, you know, pinching, taking the money, bullying them, and it's built up over a period of time to, you know, people being, uh, you know, tortured and, and murdered. So there is a, a really strong link. Uh, and, and I think that we need to re- re- uh, increase the awareness. It, it's got uh, elements of the cuckooing uh, about it as well. Yes, because it I does. think that a lot of people with, you know, we saw it on Line of Duty, didn't we? And of course, that's only a programme and it's not real. But actually, it is very real that people... Um, these things are, are going on. Yeah, these things are going on. The uh, people who are vulnerable um, are being used by crime gangs, um, uh, um, and they might they might pretend to be friends. It's happening with children. You know, uh, people pretend that they're your mates and all. Oh, some money for some new trainers. At next thing, you're selling drugs county line. You know, and you're afraid you're afraid to do anything about it because uh, you know they know where you live. Uh, so um, it, it is absolutely endemic, and more the more vulnerable you are, whether that's because you're young, because you've got a disability, a learning disability, um, uh, because uh, you might be someone uh, from the LGBT plus community, uh, and in in a in a for example a faith based community where that knowledge could be used against you. It, you know, there's so many different. Uh, layers of complexity uh, and we really need to raise our awareness of that happening Uh, we're talking a lot more now about um, uh, parent to child abuse Uh, that's becoming more of a thing and I think we should really be thinking about getting some uh, campaigning materials around uh, may um, you know uh, abuse that's uh, that's perpetrated by so-called friends and for vulnerable people I think the thing uh, like the poly that we've already talked about does actually pick this up in the training course. They do yeah. talk about the potential for friends 
or other uh, family members or other people that you might know uh, using your vulnerability uh, to target you and exploit you. Uh, but we do need to be uh, much more alive to this in schools so that children, young people, people who are vulnerable for other reasons uh, are uh, more aware of their vulnerability and the uh, the reality of the situation uh, so that they can that they can raise this uh, these red flags uh, a much earlier juncture but we all need to get wise to the fact we, that it's we happening. really do we really do it's it seems to be again it's sailing under the radar and it's so dangerous there's, there's so much that could go horribly wrong in these situations and um, again something that we really need to kind of step up to the mark really and make sure that people are much more aware of it um, just a couple of weeks ago, we lost Sylvia Lancaster, who um, obviously just did an incredible amount of work um, to highlight the victimisation of um, alternative subcultures in our society. And of course, all, all based on, on uh, the tragedy that happened to her daughter. Um, it was interesting to sort of see the outpouring really from from like the hate crime community but people that work in in this particular sector uh and and the huge respect that they had for for sylvia and the work that she's done in the face of ongoing refusal to accept that alternative subcultures also need protection how how do we change that how how do we go about changing the 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 game the the mind shift isn't it? it is a mind shift in terms of society to accept that these are people and this is their lived experience. This is who they are. It's their identity. It may not be their identity for their entire life. No. But certainly at that moment in time, that is who they are. And if yeah. they're and, and, and that's their friendship group. That's their identity absolutely. at that time. You know, but my niece was a goth um, mm-hmm. for, you know, all her teenage years. She no longer is a goth, but, you know, that meant, that meant so much to her because of where she was emotionally, where she was with friendships and family. Um, and, yeah, that, that was her family. And, uh, you know, so I think it's really important that we continue that campaigning work and that we uh, continue to, uh, to raise this as an issue with government. Uh, eventually, someone might listen, you might get a... You know, I, I think there's a, there's, is there a hey, uh, PPG, a, 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 a parliamentary uh, group on, on this? There is indeed, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I raise it through those fora and try to get uh, someone uh, with, um, you know, uh, leg, leg, I can never say this word, legislative powers uh, to take this up and to, to run with it. And that can be cross-party. This is not about one, one party. This is any party that will take that up uh, and, and preferably all parties taking that up. Uh, because um, hate is hate, and it doesn't matter if it's about uh, um, uh, group A or group B or protected characteristic X or protected characteristic Y. You know, hate kills, and as we uh, we know in this situation, it, it, yeah. it, it, that's what it did. And it so did. we need to legislate against it, and we need to put in those protections for our communities. I couldn't agree more, but how difficult is that to do when we have legislation in place that's not equal? Well, it's uh, it's always it was ever thus, let's put it that way, and and some of that is about historical uh, misunderstandings about the impact of legislation. Uh, some of that's accidental, and some of that is uh, is deliberate. And again, when you've got a government that's not listening and that is trying to, for example, going back to the conversion therapy, trying to split, uh, you know, groups uh, and um, you know be divisive and set groups against one another. You know, that's the context that we're in now, but we won't always be in this place. 
one day we'll be in a place where hope can spring again. Uh, mm. And I hope that uh, the conversations that we're having, that continue to having, uh, to be having, will some some at some point break through. And hopefully one of the best recommendations that did come out of the Law Commission's report in December 2021 was that we need to level up and all protected characteristics currently recognised under hate crime legislation need to be regarded equally, which is not the case at the minute. And that that does need to change. There can't can't be a hierarchy. That doesn't make any sense. No, no, I agree. And and I also am a a massive fan of... um, uh, judges, courts who were, who were charging, um, having community impact assessment information at the, at the, at the uh, sentencing stage. Yeah. So yes, hear from the individual, but also hear, so if this is about anti-Semitism, for example, let's hear from the wider Jewish community about the impact. This might be on an individual level, but it reinforces uh, the, the hate, the anti-Semitism uh, that exists within the whole community. And that has impact on all Jewish people in that, that place, that, 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 you know, that village, that town, that city. Mm-hmm that country uh, similarly islamophobia you know it doesn't just impact on one person just like if uh, you know if i see racism on the tv i feel really terrible i feel i feel ashamed i feel uh, uh, i feel under the cosh i feel depressed i i really can't engage with it i can't watch it because it makes me feel so bad and we need to understand that this is not just about the individual or the group of individuals that you're um you know uh, that this hate crime is is uh, impacting on it impacts on all people with it those really characteristics, and yeah. it impacts actually on society as a whole because it these does. crimes are there to divide us. That's their purpose, and the longer we allow that to continue, the further we will be divided, and we will never be united i mean that's the thing it is even if you're not the victim of the crime you witness something on tv you see something on the news um even in a tv program in a drama the impact is visceral isn't it it's the, that well, emotional it's traumatic. exactly it's traumatic time and time again we talk about being trauma informed yeah. but every time i hear about something uh, some terrible injustice that's happened some terrible crime you know, especially if it's something like CSEA, domestic abuse. Mm. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it personally. And it, oh. I relive some of those lived experiences. And that's the definite the case with hate crime. You know, as a black person, you know, I hear about, um, and as a mother of two gay children and, you know, a massive lifelong ally, um, LGBT hate crime, that's, that's something that it might be vicarious, but it, it impacts me and cool. affects my mood, affects my yep. ability to live the life that I want to live and be the person I want to be. And it means that I'm a bit paranoid about the communities that I'm in. I'm wor- wondering and worrying, well, is this person a friend? Is this person a foe? Exactly. Is this person a hater? Mm-hmm. Is this person somebody who means me harm? And it's, um, you know, that is really debilitating. And, and well, just any kind of avoidant behaviour that is being enforced on you really you know if you're in that kind of position where you you sometimes can't help being avoidant it took me 30 years to recognize I spent literally 30 years of my life avoiding certain social situations because I just even now I won't go in a pub as a gay man I won't go in a pub unless somebody goes in a that I'm with somebody I've never going on my own and b that they go in before me that's just my self-protection that's that's to avoid somebody looking at me or making an assumption and then those that's how this works i know i know i mean it's like uh, when uh, the terrible murder of george floyd happened i couldn't watch the video no 
No, as I walked in the room and they were talking about it, I mean, I could cry. I'm starting to cry now just thinking about it mm-hmm. because that hit on the grounds of race, I've lived and breathed it. Yeah. I can't go there. Not for, for my mental health, I can't go there. I have to acknowledge that the pain and distress that that lived experience has on me on a day-to-day basis. And I keep myself safe by... I don't I don't watch that stuff. I can't engage with that stuff. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but as a victim of rape, I couldn't even watch Shawshank Redemption for 20 years. I swear that sounds silly. But so, if I know that sexual violence is going to be on the TV, I can't watch it. Yeah. It's called self-preservation. We have to find yeah. a way. Yeah. We do. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm conscious of time, and I don't want to keep you any longer, but if if you were to... What I would like to think is that somebody's going to listen to this, even if it's just one person, and they're going to listen to our conversation and feel empowered and recognise themselves in what we're talking about. So, yeah, this has happened to me. Or even if it's historically, it doesn't have to be yesterday or the yeah. week before or whatever. It could be years ago. For me, it's just important that people are empowered to step up and come forward and get in touch because we're ready to listen and we're ready to believe and we're ready to support, what would your message be to encourage anybody that might be in that position now, but, but they're, they're scared, they're, they're, it's a huge risk to take for a lot of people. There's a lot of vulnerability involved in stepping up and putting your head above the parapet and sort of saying, you know, actually, I'm not okay with this anymore. I'm really yeah. not, and I need to do something about it. What would your message to those people be? Well, funnily enough, this reminds me of uh, David Olawale and the uh, the plaque that was just yeah. taken down and the devastation that I felt uh, because I've been heavily involved in yes. getting that plaque and the various work streams that have been um, happening as a result of David Olawale as a result of being uh, the chief executive touchstone uh, for nearly 20 years. And obviously uh, that's an organisation working in mental health with predominantly black and minority ethnic uh, people. Um, and what really inspired me and made me feel, yes, uh, people are good, is that actually the response from the vast majority of people was the antithesis of the actions of the haters. More people came forward uh, to support David. The, yes. the plaque was refunded within 24 hours. In fact, I think it was about four hours that the money... It had taken five weeks to get the money from Fantastic the plaque. Response. First time round, it happened in a matter of two or three hours. There was this this money was there, but then the the system kicked in. Uh, suddenly, everyone's saying, "Let's put David Zolowale's, um plaque on." You know, um, this you know uh, either wear it personally or, or put it in Millennium Square and have it in the market. And yeah. uh, is it JC Decau, the people who have got all those uh, uh, big spaces where you put adverts they gave free space to the David Olawale mm. Memorial mm. Association individuals were um, you know wearing their badges with pride and suddenly this tragedy turned into a triumph and the haters lost and the lovers won that's and it. So that's what I would say to people is that there are more good people in this world than bad and that no matter how lonely and afraid you feel actually that you will also discover that there's good people on this planet. There's people ready to give you a, a helping hand, put an arm around your shoulder. And I can't promise it'll work out the way that you want it to work out if you report. 
You know, we live in a real world. But what I can tell you is that you will be surprised at how much love and support and compassion that you experience through that process. Uh, it will be life enhancing, life affirming, and you will come out of this process knowing more people are good than bad and that this is a world, a world worth living in. I mean, I'm just totally on board with that. I want to come forward now and tell my story again. And I've shared mine many times with many different people because it's, it's, that's what we need to do. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being so open and honest with us here at Bradford Hate Crime Alliance and for your continued support with the work that we do and for the work that yourself and Tracy Braben are doing um, for West Yorkshire because it's, it's invaluable. So we really appreciate your time and your energies. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, we hope you found today's episode inspiring and thought-provoking. If you do have any feedback for us, please do reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can call us on 0800 169 1664. That's 0800 169 1664. Or you can email information at bradfordhatecrimealliance.org.uk. I'll say that once again. That's information at bradfordhatecrimealliance.org.uk. Thank you once again to Alison Lowe for being so generous with her time, as well as her honesty regarding the issues that surround hate crime. We'll be back soon with another episode, but in the meantime, please take care and remember that at Bradford Hate Crime Alliance, we are listening. <laughs>